Would you take your Bible and find the book of Genesis tonight? Genesis chapter 2. It's a relatively easy uh, text to find in Genesis chapter 2. While you're finding that, let me say thank you for the opportunity uh, to be here this evening. Pastor Laban, thank you for the opportunity to stand in your pulpit in your absence. absence. That's a huge trust um, whenever you allow someone that you've never met before stand in your pulpit when you're away. And I do not take that lightly. I think that is a very great honor. Pastor Mutchler, thank you for your kindness, your hospitality. I've enjoyed being with him and spending some time with him. As uh, Pastor Lehman mentioned, I'm heading to the airport as soon as the service is over with. One of our previous administrators and professors at PCC, he was there for 23 years, moved to West Coast Baptist and served 17 years there. He passed away, unfortunately. And uh, we want to give honor and memory of his service there. So I'm going to be a part of that service tomorrow in recognition of his service at PCC. But unfortunately, the flight leaves from Portland at 730. So you lucked out tonight. That's all I can say. I've often said my preaching style is like a chicken laying an egg in the middle of a busy highway. You lay it on the line and get out of the way. So that's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to lay it on the line and get out of the way. When my youngest son was about seven years old, he was with me in the checkout line at Walmart. And as we were waiting, he went over and he grabbed a package of Skittles. <clears throat> and uh, I took the Skittles, looked at him, handed them back to him and said, son, you don't need candy right now. I knew he didn't need candy. It was about 4.30. By the time we get home, my wife would have supper ready. And if I gave him candy before supper, then I would be in trouble with my wife. All the men can say amen right there. So as soon as I gave that candy back to him, I decided I'm going to make this a teachable moment. And I said, son, I want you to understand something. Those Skittles are a want. They're not a need. Without missing a beat, Josiah looked up at me and he said, but dad, I need them to satisfy my want. (laughs) He's going to be a lawyer one day. The truth is God is not primarily concerned with meeting our wants, but he does promise to meet our needs. The most familiar verse of scripture is this. Philippians 4 verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. From the beginning of time, humanity has been a needy people and God has been faithful to meet those needs. Recently, I was studying in scripture and I realized that even in the innocence of the Garden of Eden, Adam had a need that presented itself as a singular problem. The singular problem was this. He was alone. And in fact, the Bible says that God recognized that need when he said, in Genesis 2, verse 18, you see it in your text this morning, this evening, it is not good that man should be alone. I'm so grateful that God is not some uncaring, distant deity who identifies the problem and never offers a solution. Instead, God identified the problem and he began to meet the need for companionship through a process. I say to you tonight, we like to talk about the promises that God meets our needs. But sometimes we don't like the process in which he meets our needs. All of us here tonight have needs. In Adam's case, it was companionship. But for some of you here tonight, it may be a physical need. For others, it may be an emotional need. For others, it may be a spiritual need. But the principles remain the same. God will meet our needs. For a few moments, I want to consider how God meets our needs based on the example of God's work in Adam's life in the beginning. And I want to glean four four principles 
from this biblical account of how God meets our needs today. I'm going to preach fast, so you listen fast. Here's the first principle, the omniscience principle. God knew Adam's need before Adam knew he had a need. God knew Adam's need before Adam even knew he had a need. I've already read it, but let's read it again. Genesis 2.18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a help meet for him. Adam had what is referred to as an unrealized need. He didn't realize he needed a help meet, but God did. If in, you're in business or in marketing, you understand that as a, as, as a latent need. It's a business term. If you're a student in a business program, an MBA program, they talk about the importance of discovering the latent need. The formal definition of a latent need is a need that cannot be satisfied due to the lack of information or the availability of the product or service. In plain English, a latent need is a problem that a user or consumer doesn't even realize they have. Did you realize that the telephone is an example of a latent need? Until 1876, when Alexander Graham Bell uh, invented the telephone, no one knew any better that that was the best way to communicate. Now, fast forward 150 years, and all of us in some form have a phone on us. In fact, there are more sales phones today than there was in telephones in the 1950s because of that latent need that was discovered and met. But it's amazing to think that for centuries, even millennia, there has been no telephones prior to the invention of Alexander Graham Bell's telephone. And how in the world did they make it? A latent need is a problem that a user or a consumer doesn't even realize he has. And Adam, being the very first human, had a latent need that he didn't recognize he had. He needed Eve, but he didn't know that there could be an Eve. And I'm glad to know that God is omniscient enough to know our need before we even ask. The New Testament principle is found in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 8. Jesus said this, Your Father knoweth what things you have need of, listen to this, before you ask Him. Even before you go to the throne of God, even before you bow your knee, even before you begin that prayer, God knows your need. In the very next verse, Jesus begins to teach on the model prayer. And he said, pray after this manner, therefore pray ye. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. My same son, when he was four years old, was learning to, to recite the Lord's Prayer for his Wednesday night Bible club. And he, he recited it this way, our Father who art in heaven, I know you know my name. Now, let me tell you something. I'm glad God knows my name, but I'm even more glad he knows my need. And everything that I need, he is able to supply, and he recognizes it in his omniscience. That's the first point. I've told you I have four, so we've got three to go. Does that sound good? Say amen. amen. Those are the sweetest words in any Baptist church. The omniscience principle. Here's the second one. The preparation principle. God cultivated the need in Adam's heart before he met it. God cultivated the need in Adam's heart before he met it. Now, notice what happens. You're in Genesis chapter 2. We've looked at verse 18. Notice what happens. And out of verse number 19. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and he brought them unto Adam. Underline that phrase, brought them unto Adam. He brought all of those fowl, those beasts of the field to, to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature was the name thereof. And Adam gave names unto all the cattle and all the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. God brought, that's an interesting word in the Hebrew, God paraded these animals before Adam so that he would be able to name them. Let me ask you a question. Why didn't God just name the animals himself? 
I've written in the margin of my Bible, Psalm 147, verse number 4. The Bible says in Psalm 147, verse 4, that God telleth the number of the stars and he calleth them by names. Every single star in the universe has not escaped from the sovereign knowledge of God in which he has named from the beginning of eternity. It is in the power of God to do that, but he chose, rather than doing it himself, to give the assignment to Adam for a singular purpose. As Adam was naming those, those animals, he began to notice something. He began to notice that there were two genders of each animal from creation. There was male and there's female. And so after Adam named all of the animals, he began to realize his need. And notice what it says in verse number 20. After he named the fowl of the air, the cattle, and the beast of the field, the Bible says in that last phrase, but for Adam there was not found an help meet for him. What God was doing was this, was he was cultivating the need. He was preparing the need in the heart of Adam so that he could see the importance of having that help meet. You get the picture that as he gave the names to all the cattle, actually when you look in the Hebrew, the word cattle is in the plural. It wasn't in the plural as a, as a, as a whole, it was in the plural as of two gender. The fowl of the air in the plural, in the, the beast of the field, it was plural. So he noticed that Mr. Cat had a Miss Cat, Mrs. Cat, and Mr. Giraffe had a Mrs. Giraffe, and uh, Mr. Hippopotamus had Mrs. Hippopotamus, but no one ever wants to be called Mrs. Hippopotamus. But... Um, he, he, he noticed that every single animal had its help meet and God began cultivating that need in his heart. And did you realize how he did it? He did it through work. That's a, that's a, that's a four-letter dirty word in America today, isn't it? Work. Well, John, work was something that's the result of the fall. We only work because Adam fell into sin. I remind you, this is before the fall. God told him in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 15, that he was to dress the field. He was to keep the field. The word dress means to work and to labor. The word keep means to watch over. God gave him then the assignment to name the animals. You see, God was doing something in, in Adam's life through the work that he had called him to do. Do you realize that God is doing something in your life right now? But where you're working in this moment? What's God bringing into your life that you're trying to work through? Maybe it's a relationship that you're following Romans as best you can. You're trying to live as peaceably as you can with those who are among you. And it's work to do that. Maybe it's something that you're working through emotionally. Emotions of a broken heart or an unmet expectation. Perhaps God is working in your life to prepare you for something far better. There have been experiences in my life that I look back and I recognize, you know what, God, when I went through that, that was the hardest thing I had gone through up until that point. But I look back on it and I recognize what you were doing. You were preparing me for something that was far better. You were preparing me to understand that you had a greater work and a greater need that you were going to meet. I never thought I would be the executive vice president of any college in any place in America. I, I was a pastor in West Virginia, and before I was a pastor in West Virginia, I worked as an associate pastor at my home church at Mount Pisgah Baptist. And before that, I worked in Anchorage, Alaska at Anchorage Baptist Temple. All I'd ever done had been pastoring and working in media for those ministries and, and leading those church, leading the church that I served in. But little did I know that God was in the process preparing. And some of you are here tonight and you're saying to yourself, why am I here? What am I doing? Am I ever going to get to where I need to be? But let me tell you something. What God is doing in your heart right now, he is preparing you for something far greater ahead. Just 
be faithful to him. So how does God meet our needs? It's the omniscient principle. God knew Adam's need before Adam knew he had a need. The preparation principle. God cultivated the need in Adam's heart before he met it. Here's the third principle. If you're keeping count, I said I had four. Now we're almost done. Don't all shout at once now. Say amen. The rest principle. For Adam to have his need met, he had to rest in God's power. Now think about this. If God was going to meet the need of Eve for his life, you know the story of how God did it. Let's read it in the text and notice the language that is used here. In verse number 21, it's built upon verse number 20 that said there was not a helpmeet found for Adam. Verse 21, and he, the Lord God, caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. And he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And from the rib which the Lord God had taken uh, from the man made he the woman and brought her unto the man. Now for just a moment, look at that word, that phrase, deep sleep. It has the idea of of, uh, uh, being under anesthesia. You know, there's different phases of anesthesia. There's twilight, there's intermediate, there is deep anesthesia, there's the third stages of anesthesia. Some of you look like you're already in the third stage of anesthesia tonight. But um, we'll, we'll, we'll get you up here in just a little bit. But the Bible says he, that God did a divine surgery on Adam. He was in a deep sleep, a very literal sleep. And in the context of meeting our needs, while we may not go into a deep physical sleep, there must be a rest in God for God's power to be accomplished through our life. Here's the bottom line. Adam couldn't find the solution to his need until he rested in the Lord to provide it. And the same is true for us. I learned this in the pastorate. I'm learning it even today as I work in the academic world. I can do more in my ease for the Lord than I can in my effort as long as my ease is trusting in the Lord. And those of us who think we have to do everything, be everything, go everywhere, do everything, listen to me, we will fail ultimately, but when we are resting in the Lord, God is able to do the great work. Listen to the invitation of Jesus. You know this in Matthew 11, verse number 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, what's that very next word? Say it out loud with me, rest. And take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find, say that word out loud with me, rest unto your souls. Jesus gives us the invitation tonight and he says, come unto me all ye that are worn out. You've labored yourself into the point of exhaustion. And all of you that are heavy laden, all of you that are weighed down with the burdens of life, whether you're worn out or you're weighed down, come, he says, and I'll give you rest. The context of what Jesus is speaking to is to the Pharisees who've placed burdens upon the Jews thinking their relationship to God is in everything they do, the works that they complete, their relationship with God is just trying to please him all the time. And Jesus says, Come unto me that are weighed down and worn out with the religious burdens of the Jews, and I will give you rest. That is the rest of salvation. And he says, I give it to you. But when you look at Matthew chapter 11 in verse number 29, he says, But when you take your, my yoke upon you, and you learn of me, and you realize that I am meek and lowly in heart, you find rest for your soul. When you place yourself under the yoke of Christ's lordship, you're given the gift of salvation, but you give yourself in surrender to the Lord. You place yourself under his yoke. It is then that you find a rest that is only in your soul. Why is it we don't do that? Because we are so stubborn sometimes. 
that we think we know the best way to do it. But the psalmist in Psalm 37 said this, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. If we're going to have God do a work in our life, it requires that we rest in him. You can't manufacture it. You can't manipulate it. You can't make it happen. Only God can. And when you find yourself in committed rest to him, it is then that God does his greatest work in our lives. So tonight, how does God meet our needs? Well, through the omniscience principle, God knew Adam's need before Adam knew he had a need. The preparation principle. God cultivated the need in Adam's heart before he met it. The rest principle, Adam, for Adam to have his need met, he had to rest in God's power. Now here's the fourth and final point. You're thinking, absolutely fantastic, it is only 540 and he's on his last point. But what I haven't told you is this, this is my longest point. A little bait and switch in the service tonight. The fourth principle is this, the extraction principle. God took something away from Adam to give him what he needed. Notice what it says in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he, circle this word, took. He took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken, circle that word taken, the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman. And brought her unto the man. God reached inside to the very being of Adam and took away a rib. You say, John, you actually believe that there was a physical surgery that occurred on the ground of the Garden of Eden and God was the divine surgeon that performed this? I absolutely do. I believe that God reached in and took a part of his skeletal frame and from that the divine act of creation of the female was completed. And the principle is the same today. While God may not open our bodies physically, there are times that our souls are ripped apart and God does a work inside of us. And in the process, he takes away those things that we think we so desperately need only to find out that he had a greater blessing ahead. I dare say if you were to say to Adam on that day of the divine surgery, if he was aware of what was going to happen, Adam, do you think you need that rib? Absolutely I need that rib. That rib holds in my insides, my guts, my, 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 my very bowels are held in place by that rib. I don't want to lose that rib. That rib is so important to me. But after he awakened from the surgery and saw his beautiful wife, and spent those days with him and months and weeks with her as they were together. I cannot help but believe if you ask the question again, Adam, do you want your rib back? Absolutely not. I got exactly what I needed that I didn't even know that I needed. And I got something that only God could give me. What God took away, he took away to give me a greater need, to meet the need of a help me. Looking back, I can see how God has taken things away from me that could have turned out for the worse. Things that I prayed for, things that I knew were the will of God, things that I had unmistakable peace about it. But the truth was, it wasn't of God. 
And he took it away to give me something far better. Can I challenge those of you here tonight who are 30 years of age or older to start taking a look back at your life and start looking at what God's done and how he's done it. It's never a consistent path, is it? It's never something you can figure out. It's never something that you can say, well, that makes sense. At least not in my life. God has taken me on some zigs and some zags that I never knew that I would go on. But every single time in part of that journey, his way was best. Job opportunities that I lost. Friendships that were broken. Attitudes that had to change. There's been ministry opportunities that I knew were God's will. And God took them away and gave me something far better. When I was first a young preacher boy, when I was 24 years of age, I, I knew I wanted to pastor. I was working at, at Mount Pisgah with Brother Garvin Walls. And I told him when I came back from Alaska, I said, I want to pastor and I want to be up front with you. If a pastorate opens, I'm going to take it. He said, give me one year and then you'll have the freedom to do just that. We, we worked that out and it happened. When I was 24 years of age, I went to a church in Indiana, just outside of Indianapolis. And I went to that church and I knew it was God's will. You know how I knew it was God's will? Because it was a big church. Every preacher wants to pastor a big church. Can I have an amen right there? Don't look at me, sanctimonious. Every seminary, I heard a guy say while he was in seminary, he was praying. He said, to, he, said he prayed to the Lord, Lord, give me a, a beautiful wife and a big church. He said, God got it halfway right. He gave me a big wife and a, and a, and a beautiful church. So <laughs> I didn't say that. That'll let it out this evening. Every guy wants to have that. And I, in my arrogance, knew it was God's will. And I went there and they, they candidated me to be the pastor. It was a mistake that I made. I preached that morning. They voted the very same day. If you're a preacher here today, don't ever be voted on the same day that you preach for a call. Be another state away. I learned that the hard way. And I thought to myself, this is where God wants me. This is the place that I need to be. And they voted and we heard, my wife and I went to the fellowship hall as they voted and we heard them clapping and applauding. And in my arrogance and in my pride, I said to my wife, Jenny, these people love us. They are so excited that we're here. And as I was sitting there, the deacon of the, chairman of the deacon board walked in with a dejected look on his face. And he said, Pastor, you didn't get it. You lost it by one percentage point. You had to have 75% and you got 74%. And I said, what were they clapping for? He said, well, we didn't tell you this, but there's a contingent in the church that wants the youth pastor to be the pastor. And they just voted you down just to prove that they could so that they could get an opportunity to allow him to be the pastor. That evening, we got in our car and we drove back to Tennessee. It was a quiet ride. I remember going through Kentucky. I don't think we said anything until we made it through Kentucky to the Tennessee state line. And I looked over at my wife and I said, you know what? I don't want a pastor ever. Never want to have to do anything with a pastor. Quite honestly, I don't like people anymore. <laughs> kind of hard to pastor if you don't like people, amen? And I said, I just will go back and I'll continue serving at Mount Pisgah. This will be for where we need to be the rest of our life. Little did I remember that I had just a few months before scheduled to go to preach at a church in West Virginia. And while I was in West Virginia, I, 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 before I scheduled it, I already knew that I wasn't going to go there because I'd served in an internship in West Virginia during my sophomore year of college. And that internship left me with a bitter taste about West Virginia. 
These guys in West Virginia, they are, it's a preacher's graveyard. It's the truth. You go there and die. That's just the way it is. And my first weekend there for that internship, I was over in the middle of the state where all the coal country is, and the preacher who was a pastor there, he was a, he was a real piece of work, let me tell you. He made his deacons mad, and they got so mad, they threw dynamite in his front yard and blew a tree up because they were mad at him. And I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be a long summer right here. And I said, Lord, if I ever can get out of West Virginia, I will never come back to West Virginia. I'll never pastor in West Virginia. God has a unique sense of humor, doesn't he? I went to that church in Parkersburg, West Virginia. They were looking for a pastor. And that little church, little church with T-111 siding on it, 5,000 square feet, no paved parking lots. One of the deacons had gotten a deal on paint. There was an overstock of paint at the paint store. They bought it for a dollar a gallon, painted the exterior of the building some bright golden yellow. I swear it glowed in the dark at night. It was so bright. It was so ugly. And I said to myself, God, I never want to pastor here. That was July the 25th, 1996. It wasn't until, believe it or not, I told Pastor Mutchler this, November the 6th, 1996, this day, 26 years ago, that God in a process of time worked in my heart and they called me to be their pastor. And I can stand and say this tonight, that everything that I thought I was going to get at that church in Indiana, God gave me far better and far more through his process and his time in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Adam? Would you rather have the rib or would you rather have Eve? I'd rather have Eve. Several years ago, I was reading an article in a creation magazine. Dr. Carl Weiland, a family practice physician, he wrote a piece about a head-on collision that he had with a tractor trailer. He survived, but he had a number of surgeries to follow up after that, that uh, accident. And he wrote a very interesting article. Just forgive my reading, but it's, it's worth me reading you this so you understand the context. Dr. Weiland says, A head-on impact with a fully laden fuel tanker at highway speeds is an experience I would hope for none to share. The surprise was to have survived it. God clearly had other plans for me. During the five and a half months in the hospital and for years afterwards, I had a series of operations to reconstruct various parts of me, particularly the bones of my face. These operations often required using my own bone for grafting. I noticed the plastic surgeon would keep going back to the right side of my rib cage through the same horizontal scar, actually to get more bone for these procedures. One day I asked him why he hadn't run out of bone. And he looked at me blankly and he explained that he and his team had taken the whole rib each time. And he said, we leave the periosteum intact so that the rib will usually grow right back again. Despite having been trained and practiced as a family doctor, I was intrigued. I never realized this before. The periosteum, which in the literal meaning of the word in Latin, around the bone, the periosteum is, a, a periosteum is the membrane that covers every bone. The periosteum contains the cells that manufacture new bone. Particularly in young people, young or rib periosteum has the remarkable ability to regenerate bones, perhaps more so than any other. 
Dr. Weiland continues, when the surgeon told me this initially, my immediate thought was, wow, that's really neat. Adam didn't have to walk around with a defect. And surprisingly, some Christians have grown up believing that men have one less rib than women. But the truth is they have the same number, of course. He said, however, this information about rib regrowth adds a new fascinating dimension. God designed the rib along with the periosteum. And he would, if he designed it, he would certainly know how to remove the rib in such a way that he could give Eve to Adam and even allow the rib to grow back later, just as ribs still do today. And the principle is this, folks, that God is so good that even the things that he takes from us to give us what we need, he often gives right back to us in a greater blessed way. God often takes those lesser replaceable ribs to meet the greater irreplaceable need of an Eve. But it requires that we put ourselves in his care and his trust. When I was a teenager, there was a song we used to sing in these little country youth revivals. It would go like this, take my houses and take my lands, change my dreams and change my plans for I'm placing my whole life in your hands. And if you call me today to a place far away, Lord, I'll go and your will I'll obey. I enjoyed that verse, but this verse was what's so hard. I'll trade sunshine for rain, comfort for pain. That's what I'm willing to do for whatever it takes for my will to break. That's what I'm willing to do. It's hard for us to say, Lord, take what I think is so important to me. Take what I think is the most valuable thing that that I could ever have and you use it so that you can meet the greater need in my life. Job experienced that. He lost 7,000 sheep. He lost 3,000 camel. He lost 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys. He lost all 10 of his children. But the Bible says in Job 42, verse number 12, the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning. And when he had 7,000 sheep before, God gave him 14,000 sheep. When he had 3,000 camel before, God gave him 6,000 camel. When he had 500 yoke of oxen, God gave him 1,000 yoke of oxen. When he had 1,000 donkeys, he gave him 1,000 donkeys. The Bible says he had seven sons and three daughters. And then uh, when he, when he was, uh, uh, whenever he experienced that blessing, God didn't give him 20 children. He gave him 10 more children because 10 were in heaven and 10 were on earth. But in the process... Job began to learn there was something far more important than riches and wealth. He began to realize that the souls of his children were forever. And God blessed his latter end more than the beginning. I want to ask you tonight as I wrap this up. What is it in your life that God is saying, you need to let go of that. Because I have a greater need that I can meet when you're willing to relinquish that control. Oh, we like the promise. My God is able to supply all your needs. But we don't like the process sometimes. That God knows our need before we even know we have a need. That God cultivates the need that we have in our life through the process of work. 
And for God to meet that need, we have to rest in his power. And in that, he takes from us something that is lesser to give us the greater. That's how God meets our needs. Father, I thank you tonight. I thank you for your word and the example that even in the innocence of the garden, there were needs that were present and you met it. And in your grace, Lord, you give us the example of how you meet needs in our lives tonight. I don't know what's in the heart of this congregation, but I do know this, you do. And you know there are needs tonight that they don't even know about. There are some here tonight that are resistant to your work in their life. You're preparing them for something, but they don't want to recognize it. There are some who are trying to do everything on their own, and they won't rest in you. They won't allow you to do the work. I pray that, Father, you will prepare them to be able to relinquish that that they're holding on to so that you can meet the greater need. Lord, as the pastor comes in a moment to share this invitation with the church family, I pray that you'll speak to hearts in this time of invitation as we trust you, not only with the promise to meet our needs, but the process in which you meet them. In Christ's name, Pastor. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Thank you, Dr. Lands. How is God working on your heart tonight? I don't know about you, but I was challenged. Uh, we all have something, I'm sure, that we can give to God um, that we're holding on to maybe, or maybe we're just need, need his uh, help more. Maybe we need to trust him a little more. Maybe we, maybe we need to allow him to grow our faith. And let me encourage you, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, if God has touched your heart uh, tonight, let's, let's just respond to him. If you could stand to your feet, the music's going to play. Let me encourage you to respond to, to God's working in your heart. Maybe you'd like to know for sure you're going to heaven. We'd love to pray with you tonight. Maybe there's someone here tonight that would like to follow in baptism or, or join the church. We invite you to come forward tonight, and we want to talk to you about that. I want to encourage you tonight to just spend some time in prayer as God's working. I know he's working in my heart, and I hope you'll allow him to work in your heart tonight as the music plays. If you could be seated tonight, 
Uh, just one quick thing I want to make mention to you, Alex and Angela Sonic, uh, they're back there, raise your hand back there, and they're coming tonight to place their membership at Grandview Baptist Church. They've been so faithful through the last few months, they were part of Starting Point class, and, uh, and so we're so grateful to have them come and be a part of us. All in favor, say aye. All right, it carries. Welcome to the family. We look forward to serving the Lord together. Yes, give them a hand. And that's exciting. Uh, you won't find a family that loves the Lord like the Sonics, and we're, we're, we're thankful for you. And uh, what, a, what a blessing you are to our church, and so we're excited to have you here. Um, at this time, we have a video to show, and then we'll be on our way tonight. Lord has blessed our church the last several weeks with many guests. And if that is you, we are so glad you're here. We are thankful for what God is doing at Grandview Baptist Church. And perhaps you want to know how to get more plugged in, more involved, and experience your life journey as you grow closer to the Lord. Our starting point class is perfect for you. This will be on November 13th, right after the morning service. I hope you consider joining us and learning more about Grandview Baptist Church and how you can get plugged in. Join us next Sunday, November 13th for Veterans Day. We will have patriotic music and take time to recognize each veteran in our services. Every veteran in attendance will receive a Cracker Barrel gift card. Teenagers, don't miss the overtime teen activity tonight following the 5 p.m. service. Join us for about 15 minutes as we will be showing our appreciation for the Grandview staff. There are two very important meetings coming up next Sunday, November 13th during the 5 p.m. service. If you work in the nursery or volunteer as a greeter or usher, please make plans to be in attendance for the meeting. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you and you will receive a gift card. Have a great week and we will see you Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Greeters and nursery workers, next week uh, we'll have a meeting and uh, we are good to go. Oh, wait, what, did I miss something? Oh, did we do that this morning? Okay, we'll just, uh, we'll probably do that this morning. Thank you, ushers. Appreciate you being instant in season and out of season. I appreciate that. God bless you. You are dismissed. <laughs>